0: We continue this morning. Um, and, and we're looking at a study in Philemon, which Paul says to Philemon, in regard to the indebtedness of Onesimus' his slave, charge it to my account. And that became our heading, as it were. So we want to turn to the book of Philemon. And uh, I want to just say this as we start this morning the reality of our faith in Jesus. The reality of our faith in Jesus is tested by the actions of our love for others. The reality of our faith in Jesus is tested by the actions of our love for others. We're going to see that as we go back into this passage. Verse 1, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, and also to Appiah, our sister Occupus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you all. Now, you'll see in the reading, I've actually flagged the plurals because most of this letter is not the plurals. In English, we can't pick out the singular and the plural, in the Greek, they would know immediately. So, all of them, everyone, the church in their home is being greeted at this moment, but we are about to go into a personal letter in which the plural will disappear until you get to the blessing at the end. It's just important that you you know that. Grace and peace to you all from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all these holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith, may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. In the prayer meeting, there's a picture of waves, just some waves are scary. God wants to give you victory over those, but other waves are refreshing. And you have the opportunity to let those waves wash over you, refresh you, reset you. And refreshing does come, wave after wave. You have refreshed the Lord's people. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, Yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul. An old man. I identify with this. I cycle with men 10 years younger than me. Um, An old man. And now also as a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Jesus. That I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very Splunkner, my heart, actually my guts, back to you. I would like to have to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. There's a way of receiving someone into your life in which no matter what happens in all eternity, they will be yours. Forever. No longer as a slave. But better than a slave. Surpassing any slave. As a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as your fellow human and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. And if he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me, to my account. I, Paul, with my terrible handwriting, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I might get a bonus from you in the Lord, a benefit. Refresh my heart. Let those waves wash over me in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do so much more than I ask. Oh, and one more thing book the Airbnb for me because I hope to be restored in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you all greetings. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. And then you just put your hand over your heart. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And he blesses his spirit. Now, there isn't time today to recap on the series, but let me briefly say this this is an open letter. To Paul, the matters it raises are communal, even though it's written to an individual. It is a church issue. And he loves Philemon far too much to force him, but he loves him too much to ignore that there is an issue. And so he does it this way. And, And very briefly, and we've explored this several times, the backstory is that Paul is sending Onesimus, a slave who most likely ran away from his master Philemon, to seek out Saul in Rome. I don't think it was an accident of providence. I think he had seen something in Paul and went after him. And he, and he seeks him out in Rome, in fact, in prison, possibly in the house arrest that's described in Acts chapter 28 which, by the way, as modern house arrest doesn't do, would still have meant that he was permanently chained to one of the members of Caesar's personal imperial guard. So the gods would have been there, and he would have literally been chained to one of the gods throughout that time. So Onesimus looks for Paul, probably, as Bevan explained, and the reasons for it, seeking his freedom in some way or seeking relief. Something in his relationship with his master had gone south. He was not yet a believer. But something in Paul's life made an unbeliever turn to the apostle. Is there something in my life that makes people who've got stuff that they need to sort out turn to me? Seek me out. Is there something in your life that sees people look for you? Because they're looking for an action of God. The interesting thing is, he finds Paul. And he finds far more freedom than he bargained for. He finds a true and genuine faith in Jesus. And his heart comes alive in relationship to God, who is now his heavenly father. Jesus, who is his master. And he begins to learn with Paul to live, and like Paul, to live by a different spirit. And so together with Paul, and as we've done this series, we've seen how Paul wrestled with the obligations of the gospel that it placed on him, Paul, in this kind of situation. And last week, Bevan took us through Onesimus, and what are the obligations of living out the gospel for him, but also with Philemon, and today we focus in on the obligations of the gospel for Philemon. You see, the reality of our faith in Jesus is revealed and tested by the actions of our love to others. That is what Paul has as the fundamental, and I want to just show you. So that's just introducing today's key thought. You see, to understand what Paul asks of Philemon, we need to first consider the possible options that were open to Paul the moment Onesimus found him, Paul would have kind of had, oh dear, <laughs> here comes a guy. And there's, now there's an issue. Sometimes we mess up and we make issues. Sometimes we don't mess up and issues find us. Don't be surprised when problems make their way to you. And so there was a challenge. And Paul had a wrestle with what are the options that present themselves to me, Because of Onesimus finding me. And did that change when Onesimus came to faith? It is is very helpful for us to look at Paul's options. So we're going to do that first so that we can understand just how significant the request is that he does eventually make. And then we're going to look at Paul's actions and how they impact on Philemon. So option number one, as it were, and I've, there's, there's four or five main options, and I've grouped them. The first two, let's call them the liberty options, where the supreme value that would drive this, this path, this choice, is that of freedom. Freedom, no matter the consequences. So option number one, Onesimus comes finds Paul, finds Jesus, and Paul says, well, obviously you shouldn't be a slave. Let's just keep this quiet. I've got family in Tarsus. I know some people in Syria. I've got connections in wherever. Let's just send you away to your freedom. It was clearly an option that was open to him. He could have just kind of gone, Listen, Philemon is a believer, he loves God, but he hasn't understood that he can't have a brother as a slave. So, we will just go secret on this. That's the key thing. And quietly send you away to your freedom, and we won't disturb the boat, we won't rock the boat and we will avoid conflict. But Let me tell you this, secrecy always divides. No matter which alliance is formed and who it was, it would have ruined Paul's relationship with Onesimus. It certainly would have ruined Paul and Onesimus' relationship with Philemon. Their so-called Christianity wouldn't have been worth the paper it was written on or the blood that was shed for it. So Paul will not even consider this. It's not even mentioned in the letter, but clearly it was, as it were, in the grand scheme of things, an option. Many slaves ran away and found their freedom in some way or other. Option two, the supreme value being freedom, is to just keep Onesimus with him. This, obviously, in the context of the church and the way people communicated with each other and people visited and traveled and everything like that, could not have been kept a secret, it would have forced Philemon, and he has the theological quote, to suck it up or sue me. You know what I mean? I'll just keep him. And Philemon, if you want to fight, come and fight with me. Of course, the law would have been on Philemon's side. And Paul could have said, hey, I'm a prisoner already. Just throw me in jail again. Suck it up or sue me. Paul would have had biblical grounds for this option, by the way. There's a verse I'm sure you all know. It's in Deuteronomy 23, in verse 15 and 16, and it says this. Listen carefully. If a slave has taken refuge with you, do not hand them over to their master. It forbids returning slaves to their masters. Let them live with you. This is interesting in terms of some of the xenophobia stuff happening in our country, wherever they like, whichever town they choose, do not oppress them. You may not send a slave who's run away back to his master because you are effectively becoming an executioner at worst, maybe something less. The Bible said you couldn't chase a slave back to his master. So Paul would have had biblical grounds to keep Onesimus with him and let him live wherever he wants, at whatever, etc. Paul states explicitly in verse 13 of our reading that he would like to do this, but that he does not want to violate his relationship with Philemon, who's also precious to him. Paul loves both men, slave and master. So he's going to look for other options. So those are the liberty options. Then we find as it were the law options, the legalistic options. And the supreme value in this space is to have control. You're going to give the orders. I could order you. I could demand of you, Paul says in the text in verses 8 and 9. But he knows to do this would probably be to abuse his spiritual Authority and place as Philemon's spiritual father. And certainly his apostolic clout. And so he wasn't there just wanting to take control. To just give orders. So one solution, an option would have been just to order Philemon to free Onesimus. But Paul has a completely different foundation that he builds his ministry and authority on. No desire to control people. No desire to merely issue orders and demand and expect that people do what he says. I mean, there are many times when Paul gives very clear commands in Scripture, but he's not seeking to remove from people the responsibility of the choices they must understand that they are making. And so he wants to help Philemon make the right decision for the right reason and not merely shame him into compliance. You see, far worse than placing an order and Philemon does it is Philemon does it for the wrong reasons. And Philemon thinks, okay, I have just been steamrolled by somebody more powerful than me. I thought I was a powerful slave master, but I have been cornered by somebody who just has more control than me. The spirit would not have changed in the relationships. One man would have still dominated another. This time it would have been Paul arguing for good biblical reasons from creation and redemption that he can jolly well tell Philemon just what he ought to do. Or Paul, in the legalistic options, could order Onesimus to go back to his master, back into slavery, back to face the music, promising Onesimus that he'll write a nice letter and ask Philemon to be kind and forgiving. This, by the way, is what many people actually think Paul is doing. I want to assure you it's about as far from what Paul is doing in this letter. And, and I, I mean, I have to shake my head because I'm just going to say it, the number of Western commentaries and commentators and theologians that actually think this is what Paul is doing. He's sending Onesimus back into slavery and, and, and Onesimus must just suck it up and he certainly doesn't have a legal standing to sue anyone. While this is not what Paul is doing, it is a risk that Paul is urging Onesimus to take. It's a risk, but it's not what he intends. And so the the last main option, and it doesn't have two subsets, is the gospel option. The one's supreme value was liberty at any cost; the other is control, the spirit of control. This one, the supreme value, Paul says, I make an appeal on the basis. He's got a different building block. He is building this option, this solution on love. Love for Philemon, love for Onesimus. You see, he knows that the reality of Philemon's faith in Jesus will be revealed and be tested by the actions of his love towards his slave, Onesimus. And so Philemon is being publicly tested, not shamed. How does Paul go about laying this out and making sure that this is absolutely clear? That real faith will achieve the supreme value of love. So what does Paul do? Well, he goes to church, so he prays. You know, if you're in doubt, prayer is a very good option. Pray in all circumstances, etc. Even when you don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit will help you groan. So, you know, just start with prayer. But he doesn't just sort of like throw prayers. And notice his prayers are not controlling. He's not telling God how to fix him. He starts looking for that which is admirable admirable and good inside the person he is hoping will change. It's a bit of a tool, hey? So he starts, he says, I always thank my God for you when I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all these holy people, your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith will deepen your understanding. So you have got faith, but your faith needs to deepen its understanding of how to share the good stuff that we've got in Christ. And so he starts, and he prays and calls out, both to the Lord and then to Philemon himself, the good qualities that are there. This man who leads a church in his own home, who has started to learn to love other people and put his trust in Jesus. But who has not taken a step further of unlocking what this good thing would mean to share with others for the sake of Christ. He's he's like got layers. And the gospel's gone so far. And Jesus says this happens, Matthew 13. You know, the seed of the word of God falls and then it comes. And then sometimes there's, there's something there. There's a hard layer. And the gospel's seemingly taking fruit, but you're going to be tested. Right now, Phinemon's faith is being tested. Will it break through this, this layer that he hasn't even seen up until now? So notice as Paul pastors him, he does not shame him. He honors him. He prays for him. That's a good strategy. He publicly honors him and privately prays for him. <laughs> Paul discerns, and the gift of discernment is a really beautiful thing. But you, when you discern something's gone wrong in somebody else's life, how are you going to handle it? Paul publicly honors him and privately prays for him. We often <laughs> publicly dishonor the person and privately criticize them. That's how we think we're going to fix this. And then Paul's next action is to ask, is the petition. You know, Matthew 7, ask, it will be given to you, seek, you find, knock the door. We always think that is prayer. But that is just healthy human relationships. If you need something from somebody, don't manipulate, don't trap, don't go transactional. Just ask. It's a world of grace in the kingdom of Abba. Just ask. So Paul asks. Now if you look through the entire letter, which we did earlier, but I'm going to have to just help you. There's actually two lines to the main petition. You know, he explains the context and prays and does everything. There are two lines that he asks of him. The first is, take him back as your brother and not as your slave. I have no idea how predominantly Western commentators and theologians say that this guy's being sent back into slavery, that Paul is telling Onesimus, suck it up and go back into slavery. How on earth can you say that when you see this? It is a risk he's taking Yes, but it is not what he is doing. And the gospel sometimes requires a risk, and you've got to be able to tell the difference. And so his petition is, find your brother, free your slave. And there was a legal process in which that could be done, called ban Sending him back as a slave was not only forbidden by Scripture, But Paul expressly requests Philemon to treat him as family and not property. So that's his petition, number one. Secondly, treat and welcome him as you would treat and welcome me. Imagine there's an Onesimus there, that I, your spiritual father, have walked through the room. Now they both, of course, and we've looked at this previously (laughs) Were Paul's spiritual sons. They shared a creator, they shared a savior, and they actually shared an earthly spiritual father. Understand this. Treat and welcome him as you would treat and welcome me. Philemon is being publicly called to choose between Rome and its power, between siding with the multitudes of slave owners who needed and demanded. That the slave economy remain intact. And that if one of us give in, who knows what could happen to our empire. There's a lot of pressure on Philemon to act consistent with what the law permitted him. didn't require him to do, but what the law permitted him to do. Which would be to severely punish Onesimus, even to the point of death. In Roman society in a situation like this would have put immense pressure on the slave master to uphold its norms and values and its, listen to me, its economy. Philemon has to choose between his dominant culture and economy, the way things just worked on the one hand and genuinely following Jesus on the other. sometimes the economic standards and norms and patterns that are part of our world cannot be reconciled with following Jesus. Now, there's an obvious question. If I'm right, I mean, which preacher ever says that? But, you know, if I'm right, why not universal emancipation? A crusade from the early church to demand that every slave in the empire get set free. I'm glad you asked. You know, the accompanying epistle, which was the covering letter, the main covering letter to the Colossians, does not say, um, does say, sorry, there, that there is in Jesus no longer slave nor free. But at the same time, it requires slaves. To now serve their masters as if they were serving Jesus himself. You Do it not because you're forced. But because you've come to love your master. The oppressed called to love the oppressor. Hectic. Because the supreme value is love. Not freedom. You can excuse anything. In the end. If the greatest value is freedom. And not love. Do it in love. Now, in this question, some commentators take on a rather pragmatic view. And they say a campaign for universal emancipation would require an entirely different and new economy and people would have gone hungry and and, and no one would have known where they fitted anymore. And so this was kind of a strategy to just accept the realities of the day because it would have been too revolutionary to expect, everyone to be freed now quite honestly I doubt a revolution ever deterred Jesus or Paul <laughs> they were on a revolutionary pluck but their revolution was different I honestly believe the reason for the gradual approach is to avoid the disastrous confusion between root and fruit of freedom You see, if the church had simply become yet another slave rebellion, yet another slave uprising, nobody would have understood that its primary engine was love. And So the call, even to the oppressed, was to change their oppressor through love. Even to the persecuted, was to bless their persecutor while they were being cursed. See, the root of the gospel is a message of grace. That there is this repentance that deeply changes lives through forgiveness and faith. The fruit of the gospel. So there's root and there's fruit. The root of the gospel is grace and love. That's what Paul says. I've got a foundation. I am building. I appeal to you on the basis of love. That's what everything has to stand on. Even love for Philemon. But the fruit of the gospel, which is now what is challenging Philemon to his core, is the transformation of every social relationship Restoring justice, dignity, value, and family to all people. You treat him as if you treat me. You make him your brother. No longer a slave. Paul is asking Philemon to show a real faith... (laughs) Through the countercultural love that he's asking him to demonstrate. People had seen the fight for freedom and people had seen the fight for control. And Paul will partner with neither spirit. He wants to release love, he wants to release grace. And so he chooses these actions. And remember, I said, Paul is no armchair activist. <laughs> In the end, our series title comes home. Charge it to my account. He offers himself as he names the price. The slave was a valuable asset. Make no mistake. And, you know, slavery has been ubiquitous, but in the Greco-Roman context, which is where this was, Slavery started out for the wealthy landowners, the mine owners, the ship's captains, although many of the ship's captains, by the way, were slaves of Caesar himself. Um, Sometimes to get a good job, just to be honest about the history, people, freed people would sell themselves into slavery so they could get the job as the farm manager or as the ship's captain or as the mine manager or whatever. So it's more complicated simply than this hectic oppression. There was leverage here. So a slave is a very valuable asset at times. And many in the middle class of Roman freed persons owned a slave or three, but not because they were cheap or a dime a dozen. Now, there were lots of slaves. The trade was huge. There's a small island in the middle of the Greek Mediterranean called Delos, which traded, you've got to listen to this, up to 10,000 slaves a week on average. That was the human trade at this time. Slavery was massive. And scholars estimate that the equivalent price of a slave in today's terms was that of a nice family car. So how many family cars do you have? That's probably the number of slaves that you could afford back in those days. I'm not sure which you know is more useful, you know. Um, you could own a slave, you could own a car, you could do whatever, and, and so that asset value was probably worth a year or two of income. Paul's a prisoner. How on earth is he going to come up with that while he's got no income? And he doesn't have Facebook to crowdfund, crowdfund his initiative. In addition, it appears that Onesimus has wronged Philemon and owes even more debt. And so Paul, in his own handwriting, which was apparently terrible, offers to carry the cost. How different would the world be if instead of demanding that other people change, we model change by offering to carry the cost? This is the obligations the gospel begins to place on those of us who follow Jesus. So will Philemon accept the offering of atonement? Will his heart move? Well, church history is virtually unanimous in tradition and in conviction that happily Philemon passes the test. Onesimus is no longer a slave, a brother welcomed back as if Paul himself had walked into that house in Colossae. But funny enough, Scripture doesn't show us that. It's as though it's deliberately open-ended. It's as though the challenge that presented itself and confronted Philemon needs to remain open, so that we begin to place ourselves in the story. How real is my faith? It's tested by the question: How genuine is my love? And what freedom do people find? Not because I'm on a freedom mission, but because. The grace of God's love is flowing through my life into person after person. How many oppressors find freedom through me? Or am I too angry? And I would never offer to pay them a damn thing. How deeply does the gospel go? Inside of me? Will I let the economy and the culture squeeze in me into its pattern and its behaviors? Or will I embrace the way of Jesus? Not as some activist ordering people to change the world, or as a legalist demanding that people make rules that I can control, but as a lover. And as a believer. What does it mean for me to genuinely love? The, the story is open-ended. Because you need to put yourself in the text.